0: Welcome to another episode of the Football Faithful podcast. My name's Sam Steen, and it was a weekend of action that pretty much showed us how things are in the Premier League at the minute. City and Liverpool are very good at football, and everyone else, well, we'll go through all that and more today. And joining me to do that, as always, is Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. Evening, lads. Colin Boogs there as well. Hi, Col. All right, lads. And returning again, it's Cove Ramblers head coach, Deck Coleman. How's it going? Not too bad. And we'll begin this week as we begin every podcast with the moment of the week. Peter, what's yours? Um,
1: I, This is a difficult one for me because I never like to give too much praise to Liverpool, especially in a moment of the week segment. But it's got to be Roberto Firmino. Firmino ah. Absolutely ripping the piss. Just taking the mickey. Um, I still I think when he fl- obviously flicked the ball over uh, Celebas's head... You know, I think it was nil-nil at the time as well. So it's not like, you know, it was party trick time when you're four or five nil up or, or whatever. Just an outrageous piece of skill to flick it up over someone's head off the ground. It's not like it was on the volley or anything like that. Just absolutely outrageous it drove me to drink because it was a tough day saturday another sobering sobering day of being a man united fan and then you're just hoping arsenal can beat liverpool and when you see for doing something like that you just have to take your hat off um absolutely audacious and he looks in absolutely top form even in the charity shield or community shield whatever they're calling it these days he he, he flicked it over someone's head and nearly scored a sublime volley on you know on the half volley with his left, and uh, yeah he he looks razor sharp and uh, Liverpool looked really good but that that was just yeah you just had to take your tap your hat off to that absolutely outrageous piece of skill by Roberto Firmino
0: absolutely and it's funny because you know I think a lot of football at the moment certainly at this level is very. F- functional you know what i mean it's it's people doing things really really well and you know that's impressive in its own way but to see it's been a while since i've seen this like outrageous piece of piece of skill that you've sort of watched over
2: and over and over again so uh yeah i think that's a good shout call what have you got yeah that's a good point i have the same one i actually can't believe peter took it i really thought i'd get that one on my own all right that's but, prick of, um, that's prick of the week there sorted <laughs> yeah exactly but uh no you know what your point there sounds exactly it's like because it's so functional and especially at the very top level especially like, a, a team as quality as Liverpool. Like, every like there's no fast, you know, everything's done uh, so efficiently. But the Firmino thing was, like, I was watching it with a buddy of mine, the match. And how outrageous it was, was it happened, right? And neither of us said anything. And then the ball went through the play. And then I kind of just said, like, sheepishly, like, did he... Uh, did he just flick that over his head? <laughs> <laughs> My buddy goes, uh, no, 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 no. Your man, serious just deflected it over. It's like, yeah yeah, 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 I, I would have so. Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. And then the fucking replay happened. And I, gee, like the noise I made, like, it was outrageous. And as Peter said, it wasn't like it was pre-season 5-0 up. It was just unbelievable. And actually, Deck uh, texted into another group of ours. And he was saying he was watching Soccer AM the other day. And he was getting so annoyed, or he, he got so annoyed at the showboat section, and is getting increasingly annoyed at the so- showboat section these days because there's no showboats anymore. Like, yeah, the showboat exactly. These yeah, these are just like you know a good pass. But this was like Lee Trundle style showboat <laughs> uh, for me, So it's my prick of, or sorry, it's my moment of the month. <laughs> Not just moment of the week. For me, you know,
3: unbelievable. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh De- Jesus, he's after setting me up for a bad one. Here, no, after saying that I text in complaining that the showball was gone shit on Soccer M and now my moment of the week is a defensive rear guard from Newcastle. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I just thought I just thought they were, were brilliant. And after all the all the slating they got in the last couple of weeks, and to be honest with you, I thought I thought they were never gonna win a game this season at all. Like so from what I'd seen. So to see them put in that performance after the, the stick that Steve Bruce got and even last week on Match of the Day as well, um, Alan Shearer was absolutely tearing into uh, Almiron and Joe Wellington, or whatever his name is up front because they were so disconnected and that there was, no, there was no fluency in how they played and they didn't link up together and how defensive the team was without actually being able to defend. And I thought this week, just the performance they put in no, it's not saying a whole, whole pile because it didn't really break them down very well. But I thought, I remember after about 20, 25 minutes looking at it and the camera went on Paul Dumont at one stage. And I was thinking at the time, if they keep going like this, he's going to get man the match. And he ended up getting man the match because he was brilliant. Not just him, but the whole performance was excellent. And when they broke, they actually... Broke with a bit of a purpose that they kind of knew what they were doing. They were linking up, the ball was sticking up top, and they were being they were getting runners off. So it wasn't just ten or eleven men behind the ball. They actually they came with what is obviously a defensive game plan, but with the intent of defending to attack. And I thought it worked brilliantly. And I just think it's great to see that every now and then. I have no problem with teams packing the bus. And I also saw a Spurs fan tweet complaining that uh, typical Newcastle come and play 10 men behind the ball no no interest in playing or anything I'm going, they won one nil. you can't complain and That's a sp- it's a
0: Spurs fan they're always going to complain yeah, uh, no,
3: that, they have to have something but it's a compliment to Spurs that, that teams are no longer thinking that they can just go and attack and, and that they'll, they'll crumble in the end you know so that's a compliment to Spurs but I was I was delighted for Newcastle. I thought it was a great performance.
0: Absolutely. More on that in a bit and uh, shout out to Carl as well if you're listening. Uh right, let's start with the uh let's start with the Liverpool Arsenal game and Peter last week you said well you you expected this to be an absolute battering uh for Arsenal and you know, given the last couple of results over the last few years, I think it was a 5-1 and a 4-0. Does this actually represent, you know, moving in the right direction for them?
1: Um I had a feeling you would ask me this because of my comments last week and I'm honestly torn because I could make a really good argument for no it was just another battering or no there are there are real positive signs and I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle I, th- I think you know the reality is Liverpool took their foot off the pedal when they went 3-0 up they if they had kept pushing I think they could have easily you know put put five on Arsenal and uh, they let Arsenal come back in, into it a bit you you know Arsenal have been quite rightly accused over the last I'd say it's nearly a decade now of going to other top six clubs and just seeming like they just didn't have a plan um, of how to play no intensity no tactical awareness and you know you would definitely say that They had clearly had a plan going into the the game at Anfield. Now, it was a suicidal plan, but it was a plan nonetheless. Um, It was just, I I, I like teams to play out from the back, but sometimes when you watch a team like Arsenal the other day, it's like you know that they've been told they have to play out from the back. And you were saying earlier about football being very functional, you know, people following instructions. Like they were under the nose of the cop and somebody you remember the Celebas ball across, like some of their attempts to play out against probably the best high pressing team in Europe was it was just suicidal. And then obviously it was it was Emery's plan to to basically back his, his defense to deal with the fullback's deliveries from Liverpool. And he gave you know two of the best attacking football uh fullbacks in world football the Freedom Anfield. And, you know, they just kept putting the ball in. Now, a defence of David Luiz, Socrates, they're not going to, you know, withhold a a full game worth of Liverpool coming at them. So, you know, there was a plan there. Obviously, he wanted to get Pepe and Aubameyang kind of in two-on-two situations by by deliberately getting Liverpool's full-backs to bomb on. But, you know, you always felt Liverpool, it was going to, it was only ever going to end one way, although, you know, Pepe was was a real um, was a real positive. Like, I, I haven't seen, I've been critical of Alexander-Arnold in terms of his defensive work, but I've always thought, you know, Robertson is the perfect full-back in terms of going forward, and he's rock solid at the back, but Pepe had him on toast the other day, Um you know, Gary Neville was given out about you what know, was questioning why isn't Van Dijk going going in on Pepe, and I think it was a bit of respect because he he knew he had a trick in him. And he could get by him. So Pepe was a was a real positive for them. And you know, if if Aubameyang takes that chance when Adrian had a bit of a brain fart, and then if Pepe finishes better when he was clean through on goal, it, it could have been a different game. But still, I, I don't think that Arsenal team is 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 set up to defend as deep as they did and just repel attacks that they, they just don't have it in their DNA. I don't think so. Um, and by the time the second, you know, once Liverpool got that second goal, there was just a massive, you could see Arsenal, Liverpool are just, they're such a top team now, Liverpool. They're just so difficult to beat. They can beat you so many ways. they threats all over the pitch. Um, they, they were just far, far superior to Arsenal. And, you know, this is the kind of thing where I'm kind of torn a little bit because you can't fault Arsenal's work ethic or their application. And they kept going right until the end, whereas we've seen them kind of, you know, down tools and such.
0: Is it just, you know, that, that Kearney thing in the Simpsons, they're beaten by the best?
1: Well, they're yeah, why one of the best teams in the world. That's what Liverpool are. I think, you know, Liverpool are probably one of the best teams the Premier League's ever seen If if we're if we're brutally honest, 97 points and, and the Champions League last season and, and they've picked up where they left off. I, I think with Liverpool, quite often, I, one thing that worries me about them is that a lot of the time when I see them playing at, at teams, especially outside the top six, you kind of feel odd. Oh, they weren't at their best, but they're they just they're a winning machine now. They just know how to win games. They all They know how to get over the line. They know how to do enough. And and that's what a what a great team is basically. So um, they're going it- to be right up there again. And yeah, with Arsenal, yes, yeah, like you, you you can't. It's definitely an improvement, but they're still so far away from Liverpool. And I don't think that particular tactical plan was ever going to turn out
0: any other way so yeah although well, maybe saying that they're far off Liverpool isn't you know I mean there's not many teams that are going to be close to them or City this season um Column I'm going to go to you and um, do you know what I'm going to give you the option this week do you want to chat about Liverpool or do you want to keep up your Arsenal streak
2: oh no I I jeez I I'm Arsenal fan TV alumni at this stage so <laughs> no, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave Liverpool for day being but, a Liverpool fan tonight so I'll no I'll go Arsenal okay
0: well, well kind of I mean to talk to me about uh, David Lowell's huh
2: David, David Luiz <laughs> <Louise. laughs> I was like Jesus are we in the 80s um, David Luiz yeah like ah, look, this was always going to happen lads like Arsenal needed stability at centre half they needed someone they could trust and they went for the most untrustworthy yet spectacular centre half out there and like David Luiz belonged to Arsenal so long ago like this is like perfect for him but he's also brilliant, Louis, on his day. And this is him not on such a good day. But, right, obviously, we're all thinking of when Salah absolutely skinned him. But for 40 minutes, Louis actually did quite well um, when Arsenal kept them at bay. I thought Arsenal were really good in the first half. Um, but then Liverpool, are, you know, this is, as Peter said, like, this is one of... We're looking at one of the greatest Premier League sides ever, this current team. Like, the the statistics are unbelievable for... For Liverpool, I know, I know, I'm supposed to be talking about Arsenal, but Liverpool are unbeaten in 42 league games. Like, um, so this is Anfield now, At Anfield you now, uh, no. huh? yeah, uh, Anfield, no. Anfield. Sorry, yeah, sorry, at Anfield, at Anfield. But so Arsenal, you know, just just went to the slaughter. A bit like West Ham the first day of the season when they lost five in that city. You're like, you know, there's no real shame for West Ham, and it's getting to the stage now, even though Arsenal are very much a member of the Big Six that losing 3-1 at Anfield, you're like, yeah, that's standard. That's pretty standard. Um, I thought they were quite good in the first half. But then they got extremely Arsenal after the first goal. And I think it was an absolute stroll for Liverpool at the end. Like, complete stroll. And, like, I know the biggest takeaway from this match is Unai Emery playing the diamond in midfield. and It was, like, a rough diamond with the three uh, holding and then Sabayas ahead of them. And the idea was that Liverpool are such a strong team through the middle that he sacrificed having a lot of the ball with uh, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. And like, I understand that that's suicidal when you look at it like that. You think, what? Like, they're two of the best full-backs in Europe. What are you doing giving them all the ball? But at least he tried something. Like He was trying to, you know, he was trying to stop one avenue of attack. And for a half, it worked pretty well. I thought Nicholas Pepe was very good. If he could just finish... We're looking at a different game altogether here. I thought that Aubameyang's uh, dink after Adrian gave him the ball, I thought that was going to go in. And I was sure that Pepe was going to score when he Megs Robertson after the Henderson howler. But look, they didn't. That's their fault. They didn't put the chances away. And then Liverpool destroyed them in a typically efficient manner. I thought Arsenal were decent um, up until they weren't, if that's not a terribly obvious thing to say. But they got they kind of uh, nullified being Arsenal for a half, you know. So at least there's that to it. Well,
0: yeah, like we said, moving in the right direction maybe. And uh, deck uh, well, Cullum said there that the plan worked for a little bit until it didn't, and then when it didn't, it really didn't. And I think that was sort of uh, personified almost in uh, in Trent Alexander-Arnold, who has been brilliant.
3: Yeah, I mean, he obviously he obviously has his shortcomings. When in the defensive side of his game, obviously not to the not to the extent that he's a liability, but that was that would have been a place where you would have thought, give him the option to just go forward all the time, and you'll be able to exploit them at the back. But it didn't really work for Arsenal, partly due to the good play of Liverpool, but I think partly due to Arsenal's naivety. Peter Peter mentioned it earlier as well. Did two v two up front and trying to play out from the back. The whole purpose, I thought, of what they were trying to do, draw Liverpool in and, and just whack one over the top for the two boys who have unbelievable pace. And they didn't really do that. And I think that gave Liverpool that sense of security that, yeah, they, they caused them a bit of trouble, but they still tried to play it through and get it to them rather than just giving it a foot race over the top. And that that allowed Liverpool just gradually build into the game more and more, even without scoring the chances they were creating or or creating any clear-cut ones that you'd say there should be one or two nil up like for possession and and all that you would say yeah and the amount of crosses they had into the box yeah they should have been leading at halftime comfortably but they scored from a corner you know that says that Arsenal did the job quite well defensively but they didn't they didn't transition to attack at all really bar a couple of holers from from Liverpool that almost opened the gate for them but I suppose it typifies Liverpool of of what's happened over the last season or two now as well that they're getting better in these situations. Whereas I think a game like that could have been could have been one or two, one all, two all, one nil either way. A couple of seasons ago, where Liverpool weren't clinical enough, they were always giving chances away. Now, yes, they gave chances away at the weekend, but Arsenal weren't clinical enough on the other side of it. But as Cole said, that Arsenal. Arsenal were really strong in the first half, and then they faded away. I think the other side of it is Liverpool really stepped up their game. For this, they came out of the blocks after half time and it looked like they were going to smash Arsenal for about eight or nine. Like at one stage, they really came out really strong. I'd say Klopp must have absolutely given them the height of a bollocking at halftime because it wasn't it wasn't a great performance first half. They were they were more or less in control, but they were still vulnerable. And I think in the second half it really showed how strong and how much they've developed as a as a team. I was a bit disappointed that at seventy minutes it was three 0 and at ninety minutes it was three one because I think Man City would have probably won six-nil. And that's where that's where it's gonna come down to the difference between those two at the end of the season if they keep going the way they're going. Obviously Liverpool are two points clear at the moment, but you know, that's Man City we're talking about in a game like that, if you give them enough possession and enough chances. They'll score much more than what Liverpool seem to do, even though Liverpool are such high scorers. And that would be my concern as a Liverpool fan, I suppose, because we never win the league. So if we're going to if we're going to really believe we're going to win the league, you have to you have to have complete solidity all the time. So giving away a stupid goal is like like the one that we gave away at the weekend, and not scoring another three or four, it just gives a little bit of hope to. I suppose it gives a bit of hope to Man City and it shows them, yeah, we're still we're still a little bit better than Liverpool. Whereas if Liverpool went and won that game five, six, seven nil, then you'd be saying, okay, they're they're really the real deal. I still, I suppose, that's just the the pessimist side of me being a Liverpool fan. You can never really fully believe that they're. I mean, they're yeah, both. exactly. I mean, I was going to say you're
0: you're not yeah. you're not happy because you didn't beat Arsenal seven <laughs> one. Yeah, <laughs>
1: You know, if that happened, you'd just be saying oh, it was only Arsenal, lads. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, because it's 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 Arsenal. Like they're they're a good side, but they will give you chances. And they didn't in the second half. I don't think they did enough to actually deserve the goal they scored. Whereas if they scored that goal in the first half, you'd say, okay, they 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 had it. They had the, it. was a bit of a, a you know rope and dopam kind of one that you would be saying first half that they were trying to draw Liverpool in and. Homer Simpson style, like, tire him out by letting him punch you to death and then just hitting him on the
1: back. Yeah, lads, I actually thought that Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold actually looked a little bit spooked at times, that they just had so much space. Like, normally, Alexander-Arnold's a brilliant crosser, um, and, like, the goal actually came from a corner. um, But I think he was genuinely surprised he just had so much time to pick out a cross. It was like... Gary Neville said it in commentary it was like a training drill almost
0: right, that, that's funny though isn't it when you're saying like he was spooked not because of the crowd or not because of what he was up against but because he had so much time and space but, it, 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 <laughs> it,
1: but it's true though it's it's like it's like that thing of a striker when he's too much time to think so much of what you do on a pitch is because you're under pressure you have to react quick when, when you just have all the time in the world uh, it's it's just it can genuinely spook you. Um, I'd say Liverpool. It took them a while to like. Klopp admitted himself after he was quite surprised that, that Arsenal went with that formation. But um, just what what Deck was saying earlier about you know hitting his hitting it up to the because Arsenal had had basically created that two on two with Aubameyang and, and Pepe up against Van Dijk and and Matip a lot. And I think it only happened once that david Luiz, i wouldn't say it was under instruction he he just actually played it up long and they kind of have it was a 50-50 ball it went out from a corner just lets you or went out for a throw lets you push up but like the thing i always think when i look at a at a team playing out from the back is that if the other team knows you will never play it long, they're going to come at you faster and harder. If every two or th- or every three or four times you go to play that long pass up, they might hold back a little bit in their press and then you can actually play out easier. But like when you just make it so obvious that you're going to do the same thing over and over again, it's yeah. you're just asking for trouble and you're just giving the other team encouragement. I actually thought they say like They say it's. I was thinking to myself, it's a bit weird, but they say you know you shouldn't play into the cop. You should make Liverpool play into the cop in the first half. But I kind of have a different theory about that. In that, Liverpool's Liverpool are obviously so good at high pressing, and I think high press most teams that are good at it. It's actually most effective in the first twenty minutes of a game, just when energy levels are highest. So I think by trying to play out from the back. When you're when Liverpool are playing into the cop, just gets the whole stadium on your back straight away. It, it's it's like I said at the at start, it's just suicidal. I just, just can't get my head
3: around it. It's only helpful if you prevent if you get Liverpool playing into the cop in the first half. It only works if you stop them from being good. You know, if if you do have back foot, the cop get or the cop get restless. But if they're as you're saying, if you're inviting pressure onto you non-stop right in front of them for forty-five minutes that's only going to increase the atmosphere around the ground. So I think I think you make a good point there. Uh, let's
0: talk about City then, who, um, well, if we thought that maybe Arsenal losing to Liverpool was becoming routine, uh, Bournemouth losing to City, I think, is apparently the most routine fixture in the league. I think they've lost every single game they've played against City ever. Uh, so this one is 3-1. Colm, I'm going to go to you. I mean, as I said, fairly routine. Two for Aguero, another one for Raheem Sterling, and they're just motoring now, aren't they?
2: Oh, yeah, um, you know, like they're just so like they're just so like madly good they're, it's like the, it's like they're right, it's like they play FIFA on amateur level and they refuse to go up to even semi pro <laughs> yeah. and like you call around to their gaff and watch them play, and you're like, this is so boring, like just go up to semi pro, but they're playing world class level and they're like too good for anyone, it's just uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 very soul-destroying for the rest of us. But, like, I know that Peter's opinion of this is... And and he speaks for a lot of people that their dominance is becoming mind-numbing for anyone that's not a City fan, which is a lot of people. And, you know, you're just watching this engine, like this joyless engine, sweep aside teams with this technical brilliance and sometimes perfection. But I, I try my best to enjoy it as best I can and just forget that it's City. Because, look... It just happens to be Man City that these lads took over, right? It's nothing really to do with Man City. They just chose City, and they've completely transformed the club. Like this is a new club to the one that they took over in two thousand and eight, right? So that's the only silence they have from it. It's not like Liverpool, who are, are United's historic biggest rivals, and they have you know authentically built this amazing team. But like City is just you know they're just the owners are brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant business people. Like This is how to run a business, not just in football, not just in sport. But H- horrible in people, we should say. but Horrible
0: people, we should say.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I, like I was trying to stay out of that. But, yeah, <laughs> well, you know, it was but they're brilliant. Like, whatever you could question, uh, there's a lot to question, of course. But let's just go back to the football side of how they run that. And it's just brilliant. It's just how to do it. Like the thing with City is, like, who is their... You could say, okay, who's their star? You could say De Bruyne is amazing. But they still won the league without him last year, essentially. And Aguero is now 400 league goals, I think, in his whole career um, after his second against Bournemouth. But you're thinking, like, if you close down Aguero or if you close down De Bruyne, there's still Jesus and there's still Gundogan. And, not, like, there's no, like, absolutely massive star. But they're all, they all just, the only star at the club is the manager, really, I think and they all completely buy into it and are brainwashed in a good way, I suppose, completely indoctrinated by Guardiola. The point being is that with Liverpool, you have an absolutely brilliant team, but you do have the three boys up top, right? And say if two-thirds of them were gone for six months, you'd wonder, okay, what, what would happen to Liverpool then? Now, they could very well still be as good as they are, but you, you start to question it. With City, the biggest question happened last year when De Bruyne got injured early on, and it didn't seem to affect them that much. I mean, they didn't go through a great spell at Christmas, but other than that, they were pretty much the city that we know. And it, I think it's the point that they're just managed to within an inch of their lives. And this is what we're seeing every single week. Like, like Bournemouth actually had two great chances in that match. They were 1-0 down. And then Otto who was dodgy enough to be fair, sent their half. He dropped the ball to um, Smith, I think, Aaron Smith. And he had a half volley from six yards out when he blazed it over. And then I think a 2-1... Callum Wilson, who was brilliant last season, hasn't got going this year, he was true one and one and he fluffed his lines. And you do think that it's getting to the stage now where it used to be the case with United and Fergie that, you know, teams we be beaten before they went out and played them. Now, like you said, the most common result in football is Bournemouth losing to City. But team, you City get into your head, like, and you know that you're going to have shag all chances in the match. And then when you do get a chance, you have to take them. And Bournemouth had two very presentable chances to level the game twice separately uh, over the weekend, and they didn't. And see just ruthlessly uh, expose you afterwards and destroy you. And I'm trying to think of even, like, the best goals that we see in the Premier League in the last couple of years. And I don't think of many City goals, because, it's, it's like, so many of their goals are so similar. They're just so efficient. Like, they're just, it's the least amount of fuss and he's put it into the net and none of them have any individual celebrations. They just celebrate the goal as a the team run, and it's let's go again.
0: Now, all, it's it's, awesome fu- it's funny, go. I'd say almost all the best ones are the, the ones that kind of stick out most are from the player who wouldn't really be like that but more of a throwback to a different time which was company and his, you know, his smash at the end of last season exactly. or some headers yeah. that he's got, ones that don't yeah. actually fit that model. It's
2: funny. And like, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, the yeah. only thing that I think is going to stop this are City themselves and that's Guardiola. And it's like, if, like, I, I'm still holding on to a theory. I think Guardiola will leave next summer because yes. I, I think he'll be so worn out of his own intensity. Uh, from all accounts, even by his standards, he was particularly intense over the summer. And I don't know how much more the players can take of it. And that's the only thing I think that we have a chance with, the rest of us. Yeah, it's people.
1: I think one point, though, that one thing that really hit, hit home, it's well, it's hit home with me before. I've said it about City, um, our last year on the pod that you know, it's one thing having loads of money, but it's another thing spending it wisely. But David Silva made his 400 appearance for them yesterday, Agueros, their leading goal scorer ever. It, I wouldn't say it, it was just brilliant recruitment, but there's definitely a certain element that they struck gold as well because. Like to get David Silva in, and him and him and Aguero came in around about the same time. The impact they've had on the club—they've never been an ounce of trouble. Yeah, um, off the pitch, on the pitch, really, like two top top pros. Um, and you know, company was the same. He was bought for whatever six seven million. He was there for a decade as well. So they—they've been so like so many clubs get money and they just blow it on loads of different players. There was definitely an element to look that City bought. A handful of players you could even throw Yaya Toure in there he's gone now obviously that like became their core for such a long time and not players that you know with Chelsea there was kind of an English you know there was Terry and Lampard and stuff there as well with Peter Cech and Drogba maybe that's fine but like you look at you have to take your hat off to Silva and Aguero the impact they've had and based on their performance yesterday they're going as strong as ever as well and it's it's that spine of experience in their team as well, which is, we which probably just set them apart from Liverpool last season. i don't, that might be harsh on Liverpool as well. Um, yeah, got David Silva's got to go down as an all-time Premier League legend. He's what what a player, like just uh,
2: yeah. He has uh for City, he has seventy-one goals and one hundred and sixteen assists.
1: Uh, and De Bruyne, the fastest player to fifty assists yesterday as well. So. They're they're breaking they're breaking also. Man United you know are breaking records as well, but City are different, breaking a different type.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get on to United in a little bit. Uh, first though, shall we have a game? Uh, well, uh, a round of the quiz. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. good. And uh, I'm going back to the original format because oh. basically oh. you're you're too good at the managerial one, and it's no crack for me. Uh, so, uh, let's see, uh, deck, uh, this, this game basically is, I'm going to say a whole load of teams that a player has played for and you identify that player by the teams that he's played for. So the first one I have only played for three clubs actually began his career at crew, Alexandra
2: column, column, uh, Jesus Christ. that That's right. Dean Ashton. It is Dean Ashton. Unbelievable.
0: Oh, Great shout, Norwich City and West Ham then. Uh, right, player number two began his career at Stoke City. Could be anyone. Uh, in the middle well, of that...
1: end their careers at Stoke City,
0: though. Yeah, well, he was there for eight years, uh, played 183 times, and in the middle of it had a small loan spell at Torquay, not that that's going to help, uh, before going to Arsenal. Peter. Peter. Steve Bold It is Steve Bold, very good. Bold. Finished his career at Sunderland. As many players do. Uh, (laughs) And uh, the final one then. What a journey, man. Began his career at Arsenal. Cullum. Cullum. David Bentley. No. Peter. Peter.
1: Jay Boothroyd.
0: Not Jay Boothroyd, no. Uh, While he was there, he was at Arsenal for six years and he did two loan spells during his spell. One at Luton and one at Brighton and Hove Albion.
1: Peter. Peter. It's not
0: Bobby Zamora, no. It's not Bobby Zamora, no. He left Arsenal then on a permanent deal and went to Manchester City.
3: Deck. Deck. Paul Dickoff.
0: It is Paul Dickoff. Unbelievable. Very good. Then he went to Leicester, Blackburn Rovers, back to City, Crystal Palace on loan, Blackpool on loan, back to Leicester, off to Derby on loan, then went to Leeds and finished up at Oldham Athletic. What a career. Uh, right, is that, uh, is that a point piece? Is that right or two? Yeah. All right, very good. We'll leave it there. We'll come back to that in a little bit. And uh, I suppose we'll get on to those other record breakers then, Peter, shall we? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Right. Uh, we didn't get to chat about him last week because we recorded as they were going out. Uh, this is, of course, Manchester United. Two games, four points dropped, two penalties missed. Go.
1: Whatever. Elation was was there for man united fans whatever hope and optimism after the chelsea game has has been gradually dragged dragged away from us um, on a personal note you know i've been kind of saying to everybody that would listen to me that this is the you know i haven't l- looked forward to a season less than this than this one ever in my life um, i don't <clears throat> I don't take any joy in saying it because I, I, I love Scar as a player, but I don't think he's he's the right man for the job in terms of tactical knowledge, strength of character, a, any of it really. And um, yeah, like the the problems with, the, I, I like the signings. I like Maguire, like Wambasaka Basaka, um, and Daniel James has, has looked, looked decent. Um, I like them, but there's just so much wrong at the club. Um, the mentality in a lot of the players there—that it, it was—it was never really going to change. Um, I—I I don't know if I'm exactly right with this stuff, but I, I'm pretty sure I read something over the weekend that we have to be realistic here and 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 look at things. You know, logically, United have won, won one of their last eleven competitive fixtures. Um, that that anybody, you know, you you got to start looking at what.
0: I think it's three and fifteen,
1: isn't it? It's not great. Like yeah, it's, uh, like it's 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 terrible. Like it, it's woeful. It started it started after they gave him the job full time, basically, and it hasn't really stopped. I, I still don't know what kind of style of play um, he he wants to implement. He, I, I really like Salzburg, but I find his interview is quite difficult to, to watch because it's just a lot of faff, really, that he, he's coming out with, and I just I don't take. I just don't really have much faith in him. I'm sad to say, don't have faith in 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 the players. He's put a lot of faith into the Lingards, the Rashfords, the Pogba's. I don't have a great deal of faith in them, and and he is going to pay for his job. I think over the next few months because of that. So yeah, massive issues. We still haven't bottomed out. I don't think. Uh, you, you know, you could look at it the other way. You could say if we score them two, but you scored a penalty against Wolves, we win and then you could say if we if we you know scored with 20 minutes to go against crystal palace we, we might well have uh, uh, got back into it but the reality we, we weren't people saying we were good against wolves we had a load of sterile possession we weren't really creating anything there's a there's a lack of creativity um a glaring lack of re- creativity there jesse lingard is effectively playing as our number 10 he, he doesn't score or assist enough the, the stats don't lie Solskjaer says he's there for his energy. I'm sorry, because he's lively, he says. that's not enough. Just being a local lad and running around a lot isn't enough to be a regular in the Man United team. Um you know, Pogba does have a bit of creativity, but he has other issues in his game, doesn't really want to be there. But they're playing him back as part of a two a lot now. So you know, all he can do is kind of ping longish balls. So you know, if you if you could say maybe get him a bit closer to the goal or the other option is one matter, but Mada probably doesn't have the energy to play as a just doesn't have the just doesn't have the legs really to play in a kind of you look at how the physicality of football has changed players like Mada are kind of defunct almost now they just as beautiful as a footballer he is he he just can't really press or get around the pitch as much as 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 you need these days so um yeah it's 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 depressing with Man United at the moment and I don't really see it getting too much better there, there's been quite a long run now with this group of players it's it's kind of been like that apart from that maybe 10 11 gra- game run uh you know last season when solskjaer came in first and there was a lot of results there that we, we were quite lucky in that kind of papered over the cracks so yeah ma- massive massive issues there like the, the crystal palace both goals were absolutely woeful goals to concede you've got You've got your centre-back out-jumped for a basic long ball forward. Um, Lindelof's out-jumped by Jeffrey Slup, which, Uh Ayu goes through, scores. Harry Harry Maguire was, I don't know, looked like he had lead in his boots trying to get over and cover. And then, you know, the, the last... The, the goal in the in the last few minutes was just a litany of errors. You know, Pogba does what he does and dilly-dally's on the ball. He, you know, it gets taken off in the middle of the pitch. And then... He, Zaha no one came out and kind of uh, no one came out tried to tackle him and then you have De- David De Gea who again look like, you just have to be realistic about it lads like since the World Cup last year David De Gea has been error prone He he's made more mistakes in the last year than he did in the, in the five beforehand I don't know if something happened to him at the World Cup but he just hasn't been the same since he
0: hasn't signed his contract yet it's surely just a case of motivation I guess because he, he he probably looks around at that team and goes I'm not going to win anything here and there's only so much motivation that I think money can give you
1: yeah no I'd, I'd agree with that but then why is he still there was he running down his contract I don't know it could just David De Gea has been amazing for Man United it might just be that he needs a, new, a fresh start um but that decision would have had to be made and I can understand why you'd want to keep David De Gea during the summer
2: but yeah, he still hasn't
1: Still hasn't, you know, signed a contract. I think he's been left behind a bit when you see what Allison and Ederson and that bring to teams. He can't... He's not that modern sweeper-keeper. De Gea stays in his line a bit too much, if, if I'm perfectly honest, and says, shoot at me, you know? So, but still, he's been... <laughs> I'm just getting sick of saying oh, but he's been so good for us for the last. Yeah,
0: I know. I mean, we—god we, knows—it'd be a lot worse if he hadn't have been there. I suppose. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you got you got to deal with reality, and the reality is pretty harsh for Man United in terms of of Solskjaer, in terms of a lot of the players. Um, you know, Southampton away next. If if we don't get a result there, it, it's gonna it's gonna turn. Uh, pretty badly you know the, the summer was a disaster we got three players in we strengthened the defence but it was obvious we needed more than that we, we don't have an established uh, a proven Premier League goal scorer uh, it, it,
0: It's okay uh, though because uh, Martial's out now and that means that Sanchez won't be leaving so he'll slot in perfectly exactly. there won't he?
1: You know no so like there's just just so many weaknesses in the team that had to be addressed in the summer and they weren't and I know that's not entirely Salscar's fault at all you know, it's the players aren't good enough. The manager isn't good enough, and the people behind the scenes run run the club aren't good enough. So there's not too much for me to be jumping around. A bit. You know, there's not even there's not many semblances of light I can see at the moment. <laughs> okay, um,
0: uh, let's try, Colin.
2: Then any any positives? Daniel James's goal was good. Yeah, he looks really happy. He's a nice guy. Yeah, uh, like him. Um, not like well. Like United fans are, uh, they're very difficult to deal with. I find uh, online, and um, like you know, you will win the first game against Chelsea, you hammer them, and it's like, geez, Rashi, it's pretty good. And then we lose this game against Palace, and everyone's going mental, like absolutely mental. Our soldier doesn't know what he's doing; he's terrible. So we're so reactive to the results. It's not even about the matches. Like, It's the system that's broken. You could have any results at the moment. We could have won all three games to start with. We could be the only team of the other 92, bar Liverpool, to have won all three games and the system would still be broken. Like, It's not about the individual matches. That's just an example of what's so wrong with the club. The, like, the problems at United stretch back to the end of Fergie's time where he just stopped signing players to improve us long-term and he completely ignored the midfield from, I think, 2007 onwards just did not uh, replenish the midfield at all, after Owen Hargreaves, didn't add another midfielder. And it's been waiting to happen. And like, uh, he does, I honestly, he, I think he take, he should take more blame than he's been given. That's just one part of the problem though, just one. I don't really blame Solskjaer. Like, Solskjaer just given the job, you know, it's not his fault he's out of his depth with it. And he is. But, and we said it, we said it day one, like it was said for Peter, that this guy should not have been given the job permanently. Um, but like, it's ah, like it's it's not about the individual matches. Like this is about the system, and it's it's totally broken. And like I I think the three signings were fine in the summer, but like we're we're what we are now is like we look like a side. Honestly, we look like a like a pretty good promoted side who came up last season. But like oh, we will cause it will cause teams a few problems. So we've a bit of pace and a counter attack, and that's pretty much all I can say about it like we have two we well have two senior strikers at the club if we're assuming Alexis Sanchez is leaving which he probably will we have two fit strikers and we're going to be playing in four competitions we're going to be playing Thursday Sunday football this year and we have two fit strikers and one of them as you just mentioned Anthony Martial is injured and two of these guys they've never proven that they can score regularly and they also prove that they don't have the stamina to play all the time that they pick up knocks so we're really in trouble there the other thing as well is that we have become a really poor side when we dominate in possession. We're a bit like Spurs. Spurs are quite similar. We're very sterile when we dominate possession. I was looking at the stats from the Palace game at the weekend. We had 71% of the ball, and we had 22 attempts on goal compared to Palace's five, and we lose 2-1. Now, I know that it, you know, you're not going to see a much better penalty struck that was missed than Rashford's penalty, right? And you're thinking, OK, nine times out of ten, we probably would have won that game. So it's just a bad result. But I, I really think like, we shouldn't be reacting to these games. And I'm talking about social media here. Like the, the vitriol like, that all the players get, as well as the Wolves match. Like, oh, like, like you know, We know about the racist abuse too, but they're, like, these players and managers are just getting torn apart that you don't see after the Chelsea game. That's not about each game. It's about the whole thing. The whole thing is broken, like, and it's not going to be fixed until we get new owners and we appoint a director of football and we modernize. Like, Old Trafford is is yeah. behind now as a stadium. Like, they, they only inserted Wi-Fi in the press box in 2018. Like, we're just, like, people used to complain about Liverpool for living in the past in the 90s. But that's what United are doing now, like. Yeah. We're not modernized at all, even though we're the most commercially successful club in the world by a distance. We're doing that in spite of ourselves. Because we built up that from the nineties, we were excellent at exploiting it then. Like we United released the movie called "The The Promised Land" around the treble, and it was like a motion picture, and all it was was just the camera following around players, and everyone laughed at it. But it was way like it was way ahead of its time. Like this is marketing, it's brilliant marketing. And we have a guy in charge of transfers who is a businessman and nothing more than that. Like it's this is not surprising what's happening, and what's also not surprising is that we could go to Southampton next weekend. And beat them pretty handily, but it will still be broken. It's not about the individual matches; like this goes so far beyond it. Like, it's just you know, I don't know what to really think of it anymore. You know, it's uh, we're a new club; like we're not like we used to be, and all we have is the memories. Really, it's well, going to take a long time for this you know, to recover. Really,
1: you know, it's really alarming though, as well when I look at it, and it's more that there's just something rotten at the club to the core. Is that? You know, you were saying about neglecting the midfield, but like we could put we could put out a midfield there with like an eighty nine million pound player, Pogba, Fred fifty million, Matic forty million, and then plus the other young lads or whatever who were there. The, The problem is like we've spent as much money as the other clubs since Fergie left it's just it's just been a sh- like i can barely think of a single player at man united that we've signed since ferguson left that you could say is a better player than they were when they joined us we just seem to make players worse now like i can't think of a single player who was better than when they joined us you know like even like Luke Shaw. Is Luke Shaw better than he was when he was 18 at Southampton? No. He's just coasting through games, barely doing enough. There's, there's something just not right at, at the club. And it definitely comes from, from the top. I, I agree. But you can't say that they haven't put money into the club. That has definitely happened. They haven't put money into the infrastructure of the club, I agree. But we've bought players. It's just been shambolic. And one of the things that's really annoyed me over the summer is that Solskjaer talked about being ruthless. We we haven't got rid of anybody. Like everyone says, oh, like there's always this talk that oh, United are great businessmen. But you look at the players there on Whopper contracts that they can't shift. That's not good football business. You know, like it's just shambolic from start to finish. And you know, you said it there a few minutes ago about how. You know, United are poor against teams like Spurs were against Newcastle that sit deep. That, that was just a continuation of what last season. How many of these 1 1s, or, you know, how many times have we drawn at home under Mourinho? And then Solskjaer was the same. Solskjaer is a poor record at Old Trafford, actually. Um, it's just a continuation. And. You know nothing. Nothing has changed even over the summer. Surely that's something that you work on playing again. Because realistically, if you're a top six club, you're going to come up. You're going to come up against a team that's going to sit deep in half your fixtures every season. So it, it's just I, like I just don't see how anything is going to change. And I accept, like I, I, I agree with you that it, like the, the issues are. It, it's not just each individual individual game, but like I wasn't. I never like the worst part of it for me was when Wolves scored I thought we're not going to get a draw is the best we'll get out of this and when Crystal Palace scored I thought even though when it was early in the first half I thought this is the best we're going to get out of this because I've seen what this team gives what that group of player players produces when they're put into situations like that and it's just a continuation of what it's been like for the last couple of seasons so like, I, I, I'm just, I don't know what to do anymore with United. Like, no, I kind of, I, mean, I expect the worst and it generally kind of
0: comes around, you know what I mean? In uh, in three years of fairly uh, miserable rants about United, I think the pair of you've, uh, you've, uh, you've peaked. <laughs> I, I hope we'll I see. Totally yeah, yeah, it's true. I, I bet you did. Uh, and I... Actually, I'll go to you now. Let's talk about uh, another team who are sort of, in transition a bit but it actually worked out for them at the weekend that's uh, Chelsea who beat Norwich 3-2 at Norwich and uh, two goals for Tammy Abraham and uh, one for Mason Mount not bad young players doing the business
3: yeah they're very exciting to watch and both teams that was a great game both teams were very exciting to watch and I think if you if if you fast forward to this time next year and sit down at 2 o'clock on a Monday afternoon and uh, watch Premier League football and or watch the Premier League channel on Sky Sports and look at the Premier League years from this season I think you'll see an awful lot of Norwich games an awful lot of Chelsea games because both teams play really open football um, I'm impressed with Chelsea to be honest I think they're doing some really good stuff in possession and uh, they're very vulnerable defensively but I think they're going to have they're going to have a good enough season I'd say I'd say they should get they should get Europe um, they shouldn't be out of the top six but I can't imagine them really breaking into the top four at the moment, but as you said, those young players, they have they have a bit of a chance. They have an outside chance. Um, Moat looks excellent. Um, he really does. Tammy Abraham got a bit of stick for the last few weeks, but he put in a, a, a fairly complete performance uh, at the weekend. I still think Giroud is better than him. I still think he offers them a bit more. Um, there was a lot being made of the pace Abraham has, offering them something in behind, but I think he's gonna be he's gonna be a bit of an up and down player this season. Like, obviously, I could be wrong on that. Like, but I think Giroud just probably gives them a bit more with bringing players into the game against against better opposition. Like, I know I'm saying Norwich are decent, but they are a newly promoted team. Like, they're gonna concede goals. Um, Chelsea, I think they're gonna score an awful lot of goals this season, but they're gonna be a team. Probably they'll probably remind you of a bit. A bit like Bournemouth, where they'll score goals, they'll play great football, but they'll concede an awful lot as well. It just looks that way. Now, maybe that's due to the players that they were missing. Rudiger was missing at the weekend. Kante was missing. But even even with Kante and the team last week, you know, they're still fairly open. Is is, um, is
0: there a difference between, obviously, like Sarri was there last year, and he's a, he's a manager with a, a very distinct style that didn't seem to quite fit or, or work, certainly for the fans' perspective anyway, but... Has Lampard come in? And has he has he established a style of play on this team?
3: I think so. I think so. They look they look to get the ball forward a lot quicker than they did under the Sarri. He was like Chelsea fans hated him because they were bored of him trying to pass teams to death. And this season they look to be playing the ball into the striker a lot quicker. They've runners off him all the time. There's there's at least one, usually two players looking to make runs in behind once it goes into the striker, whether that's Abraham or, or Giroud. And you always have a midfielder coming up to support it. Often you have two midfielders supporting it as two players running behind. So I think that's the biggest difference where where they're really, really looking to, to penetrate early, look to get forward early. But that's probably then why they're becoming a bit more vulnerable defensively. Because when they were keeping the ball more, they had more players around the ball. So when they lost it, it was it was easier for them to recover it and recover their shape. Whereas now when they have players making runs in behind a bit more, it does create that little bit of space for teams to counter into. Uh, but I definitely see a big difference since, since Lampard's come in. And I suppose the other side of it is, obviously, fans love Lampard for who he is and what he did with Chelsea. I think Sarri, he just had a very negative demeanour as well. It just, maybe it was just because he looked like the dullest man ever and he's going around in a cloud of smoke all the time. But I think that is, that makes a difference as well, but definitely the the playing styles of of both managers there, I suppose, um, you can see in their in their personalities as well. Like, so I I'm impressed by Chelsea. I actually I've liked watching them when I've seen them this season so far, and that's that's hard to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Tell me about it.
0: Uh, let's move on then, and we'll go to uh, Spurs, who lost one nil to Newcastle, as deck mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, Column, you've been saying for a while that you think the wheels are going to come off. Now they had uh, close to eighty percent possession in this game, but didn't seem to do a whole lot with
2: it. What, what's going on with them? Finally vindicated. They <laughs> looked foolish because I kept saying it after they won. <laughs> I was mentioning, I was comparing them there when I talked about United. That this is, I, this, I think they. They found problems like this when they do dominate possession at home to lesser sides. And I remember last year, they had a very similar style of match at home to Brighton. I think they were only just in the stadium. It might have been their second game in the stadium. And they had to wait for uh, an 82nd-minute winner, I think, from Christian Eriksen from Long Range. And there's one of the many problems that they have now is the Eriksen issue. So after the game on Sunday, uh, the defeat to Newcastle, Pacitino was asked about Eriksen's future. And I, I I thought he'd be unequivocal and said, oh yeah, he's definitely staying, even if he wasn't. But um, Patch said he doesn't know where uh, Eric's going to be after the second of September. So it looks like to me that he's going to move on. I'm not sure who's who he's going to go to, but um, like he's you know, he you know Patch isn't playing him at the moment. Uh, I don't know what's happening with Jan Vertangen unless I missed something there. But vertangen's not been involved at all this season. Uh, Danny Rhodes, they definitely wanted him out of the club. I think he was very close to Johnny Watford in the deadline day. So there's three big problems there. They also have Deli Ali injured. And their new signings too. They have set Ryan Cessna hasn't been ready yet. La Celso is only coming into it a little bit and then is out at the moment. So you had a situation against Newcastle where the starting eleven was the same as last season. And of course the whole thing about last season was well they didn't sign a player. They hadn't signed a player since January twenty eighteen. So it all felt a bit stagnant. Um, and that was kind of, I think, the vibe of the stadium. It seemed to be coming through the TV watching the match against Newcastle that everyone was a bit bored by the lineup. It wasn't very inspiring. Uh, like, Lamella in the number 10 role. Like, Lamella's one of those players, for me, he's like um, Adam Lalana or Jesse Lingard. It's like, I'm not really sure what his big thing is. You know, Lamella, Pat loves Lamella, always plays him. Uh, when he, he plays, he he gets him involved in some way anyway. So, it it was just... It was very predictable. That was the thing about it. Now, not this necessarily the scoreline. Uh, I didn't see Newcastle winning, but the style of play from Spurs was very predictable to me. I don't think they're that interesting to watch. Like, I think out of the top six, I think the least entertaining sides are United and Spurs to watch. Uh, I agree with Dick. I think Chelsea are very entertaining. And Arsenal are Arsenal. They're, they're, there's always a bit of fun with them. And obviously you have the big two. But with Spurs, sterile domination like is one of the worst kinds of football to watch, you know, and they do that. And I think what was happening uh, against Newcastle was they were keeping the ball. They had an unbelievable amount of possession and their passing was accurate, but it wasn't penetrative. And it was going out wide and moves were kind of stopping in the 18 yard line and the ball was being recycled and going out wide. And the same player was receiving the ball three or four times with no momentum running into the ball. So they just ended up kind of just sheepishly, chipping the ball into the box and newcastle would clear their lines now newcastle did defend brilliantly as deck was mentioning domic got mad at the match he had one glancing header to uh prevent mora almost certain goal with a header and mora had a really good chance in the second half on the half volley, although it was a bit of a difficult bounce but they didn't they just don't really create and i found that way with spurs as well they don't necessarily create a lot or if they do they kind of just the chance is going to happen to come their way like you had a situation where Harry Kane had another one of those games for Spurs where he's out of the game completely. He was dropping 30, 40 yards deep to get the ball. He wasn't really dangerous. It, like the performance didn't surprise me. But with Spurs, the reason that they always seem to kind of get away with it and make my statement foolish when I say that it's all very vulnerable and fragile is they always seem to find a way. But the goals that they score aren't necessarily created in any particular uh Purposeful fashion, like you would with Liverpool or City.
0: I mean, I guess it kind of reminds me of what you were saying about United earlier, and saying that it's 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 the system. The system is perhaps a problem as well. That you know, maybe they're getting these goals almost in spite of what they're doing. But can like can they turn it around? Is it something that they
2: should be really worried about, or are they still going to be good enough to finish in the top really, four? Not really worried, but I do see. I like. I don't, I'm not sure how long is going to stay around for. He seems to be getting increasingly frustrated. Like you do remember in the summer in the one of the press conferences in pre-season he said to the press I'm not sure I should be called manager anymore maybe I should be called head coach. Because obviously a are doing Daniel Levy with the transfer situation. Um, I, I'm not sure where I'm not sure about the future with Spurs. I could see Paschino leaving and at the same time you have to give Paschino unbelievable credit because Spurs are like completely established top four side these days and they have a brilliant team and it wasn't that long ago at all that you couldn't rely on Spurs at all for anything they've become more, way more reliant in that way and they're, they're an absolutely brilliant side in terms of what he's done with them but I do think they have limitations certainly when you compare them to the other four, we'll say, not, not counting uh, United and them side, the other Liverpool and City and, and also I think a bit with Arsenal is that they're not very expansive and I do think that if they do lose the personnel that I'm always talking about, that they may or may not lose, that I could see the whole thing taking a massive backward step. And I don't, I don't think we're too far away with that with Spurs. And I'm, I'm surprised to hear so many people pre-season saying that, like, they, they think Spurs are going to be genuine title contenders. I just don't see it. I don't see where they strengthened that would suggest that they're definitely going to challenge for the title. Like, 2016 was their chance when everybody fluffed their lines. And they had a chance to to win the league, but Leicester did instead. And I I just don't know if they're going to get as close as that again. I'm not really sure where to go.
1: It, it's a weird one with Spurs though, because I agree with you completely that like it was a bit like the United game that you when you saw Newcastle going one 0 up, you go I've seen this game before now that they're going to really struggle to break them down. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but like there was a, a period last season where. They were winning matches 1 0 and 2 1 with last minute goals all the time. But the games took very similar patterns, if you know what I mean. But it's kind of weird with Spurs because I would agree they're not great to watch and they weren't great to watch last season. But I'd say for the two seasons before that, they were up there as being the best team to watch on their day, starting 11. They were right up there with the best. And it's pretty well, it's well publicized that it's pretty much the same group of players up until this summer, you know. So is it like I think you're kind of on to something that you're saying there is issues behind the scenes because, you know, Danny Rose, you know, was was talking about leaving, and he's been talking about leaving for a long time. Trippier Trippier said that there was, you know, there was problems behind the scenes. That's why he left. So there is something going on there at the moment that that's, I think's is pulling the back. I, I would have excused it last year just because that group of players, I sound like a broken record here, had just played an insane amount of football for three or four years. But I, I'd be a little bit worried if I was a Spurs fan this year because they were far from convincing against Villa either apart from kind of the last 20 minutes. And, you know, we're saying they didn't have any creativity and, and I agree with you on that. But, like, they started yesterday with Harry Kane, Son, Lucas Mora and Lamella. You know, like that—that's a lot of firepower in a team. Even if you don't rate Lamella very highly, they just, yeah, they, they, I think they—they they really need to to keep Ericsson because Ericsson, Ericsson gets a bit of stick. I know off Spurs fans, Carl in particular, one of the regular Potters, he, he gives him stick a lot. But I think Ericsson's the man that kind of knits it all together a bit, and it's all well and good having all that attack and talent on but sometimes you need the the player there that's just going to get get it and lay it off to them all the time so because i don't think the rest of them players necessarily play very well off each other um so yeah it it, it it's a weird one but it, for me the big takeaway from this weekend was just that as if we didn't already know, lads. Like the, the the chasm between Liverpool and Man City, it's it's a top two now. Like you know what I mean? It's they're just they're so much better than than the rest of the top six. Like
0: yeah, yeah. well, uh, just Arsenal up next for Spurs, so that'll be good crack again. Uh, right, uh, should we do a second round of the quiz? Oi. <laughs> Right then, uh, so same as before, I'm going to name a whole load of teams and you identify the player by the teams that he's played for. And we'll start with, uh, let's start with this one. Now, I should warn you, the first three teams uh, are a bit odd. Uh, so he began his career at a club called Calabar Rovers. Nobody? Yeah, uh, yeah uh, then he was at, uh, and this is the one I'm going to struggle with, Iwanyuanu Nacional. <laughs> <laughs> That's spelled just in case you need to know. I W U A N Y A N W U. National. No. Okay. Uh, then he went to Sharks. Peter. Peter. Benny McCartin. No. Then he went to I X. Whoa! Peter. Peter.
1: Vinny George.
0: It is Vinny D. George. Brilliant. <laughs> Very good. Went to uh, Ajax, Betis, Mallorca, Ipswich for a little while and then back to Mallorca. Uh, right, so 2-1-1 one, one, I believe the score is. And this next player began his career uh, at Ajax as well. Call, him. Call him. Andy van der Meyde. No. Dennis Bergkamp. No. Uh, went from Ajax to Sporting. Peter. Peter. Ricky Van Dogg's <laughs> No, but good <laughs> good, good <laughs> to hear a mention. Never played for them, mind. Uh, in the middle of that, he did a loan spell at Real Zaragoza. And then he went to Milan.
3: Peter? Peter.
0: Roy
1: Mackay? No.
2: column, column, No, this is stupid. No. klaus C- Huntler? No
0: played for Milan 142 times and then finished career back where he began at Ajax so that first spell at Ajax he played 205 times went to Portugal small bit in Spain Milan played for them 142 times and then further 56 times for Ajax
1: Peter Peter? Frank Reichardt.
0: It is Frank Reichardt. Oh, Very good. And that'll do it, Peter. Well done. He's won it this week. Uh, let's go with Prick of the Week. And uh, Colin, we'll start with you this time. Um,
2: Jamie Vardy's celebration. Oh, it was uh, brilliant. I loved it. Uh, <laughs> you know you why know, it was great, right? You know why I had a brief running uh, lovable Prick of the Week yeah. series last week? I'm going to put him in the lovable break of the week for this, right? I love that stuff. Yeah, the fo- really uh, to see the photo of him, it's just brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah. He also tweeted oh, it out. The week material. Yeah, he tweeted it out as well. Yeah. Saying, Have a great weekend, everyone, and it was that angle, right? <laughs> so he, he's a master Steffi the Wednesday fan. So it wasn't just Vardy being Vardy, although I wouldn't put it past him anyway. But um, what I loved about it in particular, right, because that sort of goading to the crowd. Uh, It's very common these days, right? And sometimes it's too forced, and I don't like that, right? But what I love about Vardy's one is the finish was brilliant, right? But he went from the same momentum of striking the ball into the celebration, (laughs) and he gets extra marks for that. That's fantastic. That is absolutely brilliant. And he stood there completely still as well. He didn't move, and he didn't say anything as well. He just looked. So he gets all like he gets so much prick points for that. <laughs> Fantastic, good, good. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go with
3: Florin and Dawn of Brighton for that absolutely horrendous tackle that earned him a red card. It was on uh, on Jan Valery. I thought it was disgusting. I saw it. I saw it about three or four times over the weekend at se- at separate points, and each time I saw it, I was actually as shocked as the first time I saw it. I just yeah. thought it was rotten it's I, I love a big tackle, but that's that's fucking disgusting, that carry on. So what a fucking prick. Yeah, what a prick. Uh Peter.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go with two I'm gonna have two pricks. I'm gonna have Unai Emre and David Luis for both trying to say that that you know that his blatant tug on Mo Salah wasn't a penalty. Like yeah. do you know like nobody even needed to see a replay, you know what I mean? It was obvious. As soon as it happened, you just went, Yeah, there you go, penalty. I'm not saying it was the hardest tug in the world and whatever, but like you pull someone's shirt blatantly in the box, you're giving away a penalty, mate, so get over it. I don't know how you you're trying to how you're trying to defend yourselves on that one. What well, what a pair of pricks.
0: Yeah, and an, it, a, a million camera angles. I wish they'd just afterwards just go yeah, yeah, it was, yeah.
3: He put his hand up as well after he dragged the shirt, before the whistle blew. <laughs> And then denied it. I mean,
0: <laughs> uh, what a prick. Right, that's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We will be back, of course, again next week. Uh, make sure you subscribe on all of the places where you can get podcasts because you'll find us there. And every week it'll just pop up in your feed. In the meantime, as well, go along to the thefootballfaithful.com and you'll get loads of great football content there. Just time to say thanks to Peter. Cheers,
1: lads.
0: Enjoy that. Thanks, Col. Cheers. Cheers, Deck. Thank you. And goodbye from me. We'll see you next time.